So this morning, as I came in to record this sermon in an empty room, which is so weird, it's just so bizarre, I went into the sanctuary and just sat for a few minutes, and uh, man, I want us to be back together again. I, I, I can't wait for that time when we get to worship together again, when we get to sing that first song in the room again and, and, and be together uh, I, I was talking to a friend this week in Chicago who is friends with a Jewish rabbi, and uh, she was talking to this friend, and he was telling her about a principle in Leviticus, and the principle is this, it's, it's pikuaf nefesh. Say, say that at home, pikuaf nefesh is the principle, and, and what it means is it means the preservation of life is the most important thing. So as you read through the Old Testament, you'll see that, that the Jews had all of these really stringent laws. They were dietary laws, which we're going to get to later. There were Sabbath laws. There were things they couldn't do on certain days, things they could do on certain days, things they were supposed to do all the time. But there is one rule called pikuaf nefesh, which means that the only reason to break the Sabbath, the only reason to break the law, to break these rituals, to stop doing these things, is the preservation of life. It means that life comes first. It means that the preservation of life is the most important thing and the most significant thing. And this week, as we've been reflecting on when do we reopen the church, and what does it look like for us to gather together again in person? We've actually never been closed, we've just moved online, but when do we gather together again in person? I, I want you to know that we are using scripture as our guide, and pekuaf nefesh matters to us. The preservation of life comes first. And I want to encourage all of you in the way that you're leaving, leading and living and thinking about this issue, the preservation of life always needs to come first. And if there's even a 1% chance that somebody's going to get sick or, 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 or die, we want to keep that, per, uh, that thing first. And so the four questions that we're filtering as we think about reopening is, one, is it ethical? Is it ethical for us to open right now? Does it make sense for us to open? Are we putting people at risk for, um, for something silly? We can continue to meet and to gather online, and so we don't want to make any kind of risks. Is it ethical? The second question is, is it legal? Is, are we allowed? Is, this, is the state government and local government officials giving us permission to gather? The third question is, is it missional? Does this line up with our vision and with our mission and with our values? Because even though we've not gathered together in person, the church, Grace Marietta, has done amazing work over this season in, in, in scattering throughout our community and scattering throughout our neighborhoods. And we've got actually more plans of how we're engaging our neighborhoods and our neighbors in the coming weeks that we're excited to roll out for you. And then the last question is, is it practical? Like, how, do we, how would we actually do it? Would we actually be able to follow the social distancing guidelines? There, there have been a few churches in our community and on around who have opened, uh, and we've kind of done some checking in on some of them. Most of them have said it's really difficult because you have to keep everybody at a certain distance. There's this, everybody's wearing masks, and it's a little confusing, and some people aren't wearing masks, and some people want to shake everybody's hands, and other people don't want to shake anybody's hands, and there's all this weirdness going going on. And, and everybody I've talked to said, when we opened in person, we had less than 10% of our congregation that actually showed up. 
so right now, people are wanting to continue to stay in their homes. And so for us, we're going to continue to reevaluate this really weekly because the information that's coming at us is so fluid and so fast. And, and I don't know about you guys, but this week, I particularly just hit a wall with fatigue. Uh, it was a hard week, right? There's news of Ahmaud Arbery's uh, shooting that came out, and, 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 and I was just grieving over that and so frustrated by that. That happened in our state, in, in the state of Georgia. There, there's, there's a new conspiracy theory out every day now that everybody's arguing about. There's the mask or no mask debate. Everybody's either afraid of the economy collapsing or afraid of this virus. And now I hear there's a thing called murder hornets. I don't know if that's real or not, probably not, but I just like, that sounds unpleasant. It sounds like something I don't want to deal with. I don't, I don't need any murder hornets in my life right now. Uh, there, there's this fighting, there's this fear, there's this unhelpful debate that's going on, and we just live in a world that has been so discipled by CNN and by Fox News that we cannot even understand or know what wisdom looks like. Uh, there's an alignment to political parties over an alignment to the kingdom of God and over an alignment to the common good. We can't even discern what common good is anymore because everything has been politicized and no one knows what's true and what's not. Uh, I put myself included in that and I'm tired. I'm tired of adding names of another black man who's been killed unjustly to the list that is way too long. I'm, I'm tired of the fighting. I'm tired of the bickering. I'm, I, I'm tired of the, the silly arguments that are going on. I'm tired of leadership that focuses on self-interest instead of the common good. I'm tired of not knowing or understanding or being able to discern what's true or what's not true. I'm tired of people trying to profit off of a pandemic. I'm just tired. I'm tired of neighbors that are turning into enemies. And this week, I just hit a point where I just had to turn every Everything off. I just had to turn off the news, turn off the social media, step away from the computer, and just sit quietly with Jesus. Just spend some time in worship. When we started this, we said the battle over the coming weeks is going to be a battle for our minds. And I don't know about you guys, but this week for me, that was what was going on in my life. We've been talking about these stories of exile, and we've been looking at the life of God's people who in 580 BC were pulled from their homes and taken to Babylon and taken into exile. And how did they live in that world? And in that world, there were a lot of similarities to what we're experiencing right now. There was a really tricky definition of what's true and what's not. What laws are we supposed to follow? What laws are we not supposed to follow? How do we live as the distinct people of God in a world that is operating in a clearly different place than we are? And how do we continue to be distinct? And so I want to look at Daniel chapter 1. We want to look at the life of Daniel today. Daniel chapter 1, verse 8. Daniel was recruited by the government to be a leader. He was what, what, what you would call an apostle. He was shaping culture. And so they were trying trying to uh, kind of turn Daniel into a Babylonian. But Daniel wanted to stay distinctly Jewish. He wanted to stay distinctly a follower of God, of Yahweh. And so Daniel is trying to figure out, how do I live in this place where the world is going crazy around me and everybody's asking me to do all of these different things and everybody's operating in all of these crazy ways and how do I continue to live faithfully? 
Daniel chapter 1, verse 8, it says, But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him to not defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of eunuchs. And the chief of eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who has assigned you this food and drink. For why should he see you in a worse condition and then the other use of your age? Here's what's happening. Daniel has specific dietary restrictions that not allowed to eat certain things. He is allowed to eat certain things. And, and what the king is doing is the king of Babylon has given them a, a, a diet regimen for all these young men that he's raising up and training to be leaders in his culture. Daniel realizes that if he's going to be faithful to God, he cannot live like the world is asking him to live. He's got to live distinctly, and he's got to live in a different way. So he goes to the, the head, uh, the, the, the chief eunuch. Um, uh, we won't get into the eunuch side of all of this and what that means, but Daniel said to the, he, he gets in there and he says, I can't eat this. So verse 11, it says, then Daniel said to the steward, whom is the chief of the eunuchs, who had assigned, um, assigned Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, he said, test your servants for 10 days. Let us be given only vegetables and, and water to drink, and then let our appearance and the appearance of the other youth who eat the king's food be observed by you. I don't know what they were eating. They were eating Cheetos. I don't know. I've been eating a lot of nasty stuff in quarantine, but they, they were eating whatever. And he said, and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he came up with a creative way to critique what was happening in the world there, to, to come up with a different plan, but also to have imagination for how to live faithfully. So the eunuch listened to him in this matter and tested him. And, and at the end of 10 days, it was seen that they were in better appearance. They were fatter in flesh than all the youth who ate the king's food. I, I feel a little fatter in flesh these days myself. Uh, and so the steward took away their food and wine and gave them only vegetables. This is a beautiful example of critique and imagination. It's what we need in exile. We become an alternative community, different from the world, set apart and distinct, but creatively characterized by following God. And we should look different from the world. We should operate differently from the assumptions of the world. We should not be engaged in all the silly arguments. We should not be discipled by our entertainment news channels. We should not be caring more about our own self-interest than the preservation of life. We should be caring for the world around us. Jesus said we're to be in the world, but not of the world. And so what Daniel did was he criticized, but he didn't just criticize with his mouth. He didn't just make some posts on Facebook. He didn't just yell at everybody. He didn't just get angry. What he did was he, he came up with a creative solution. There's two types of leaders in the world. There's leaders who can define the problem, and there's leaders who can solve the problem. Uh, both of those are significant parts of leadership, but we need leaders in this season who can do both, who can critique the world around us and say, listen, the way that we're living, the way that we're talking about this, the way that we're fighting, the way that we're arguing, the way that we're engaging all of these things, this is not right. It is not right that another black man was killed unjustly. It is not right that everybody's fighting and arguing and bickering. It is not right that we cannot decide what the common good is. These things are not right, so we critique. 
but we also have imagination of how to solve the problem. The best critique of bad is always the practice of something better, and so we live in a distinct way and in a different way. Critique does not mean we denounce everything. It doesn't mean we just rage against the machine all the time and yell at everybody, because if you do that, you lose your voice. You've got to pick your battles. You have to affirm what is good, reject what is evil, and redeem what is redeemable. That's the pattern that we're taught. And so I want to show you a little bit of a grid. I love these things. Uh, and this is like we're together in, in, in a room here. And, and in this grid, we have imagination. And we have critique. And so imagine on this grid, this is high imagination in these two quadrants. This is low imagination in these two quadrants. This is high critique in these two quadrants. This is low critique in these two quadrants. And so what happens is we often choose imagination or critique. We choose between one or the other. So if we only critique but do not have imagination, what happens is we become frustrated cynics. Man, I don't know about you guys, but I, I have felt a little cynical in the last week. We become frustrated cynics. We rage against the machine. We become rooted in what's not, and we constantly criticize what's happening. We begin to throw rocks at glass houses, and, and, and we become um, despairing. And when we're despairing, we can't see newness. So when we despair, we can't have imagination for what's next. And, and, and so we miss uh, any kind of imagination of how to live a better way, and we just become an echo chamber. And we're just echoing critiques, and we're just angry, and we're just frustrated over and over and over again. If we have only imagination and no critique, what we become is we become naive idealists. kind of have our head in the clouds, right? We're, 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 we're living in a future version of the world, but we're not naming what's real. We're not lamenting what's really happening. We're not spending time rooted in what could be, or we're spending so much time rooted in what could be that we don't spend time rooted in what is. And so we live in a future version of the world that isn't really real. This is the Stockdale paradox that we talked about, that, that, that people believe that everything's going to be okay and everything's going to be fine, but then when it's not, they break down. Uh, this is always a bad quadrant. This is no imagination or no critique. Uh, and, and what you get here is you get indifferent. Indifference is never good, but we get indifferent pew sitters. <laughs> indifferent pew sitters, or in quarantine, it's indifferent couch sitters. Uh, what we do is we just... We put our head in the sand. We become indifferent. We check out. We, we just say, you know what? I'm done. We're not rooted in anything. We're numb and we're despairing and we just are going to sit and get. I'm just going to look out for number one. I'm just going to care for myself. I'm just going to get through this season on my own. I'm not going to look out for my neighbors. I'm not going to worry about the common good. I'm not going to do anything to help. I'm just going to sit and get. And then what we have in when we have imagination and critique, this is the quadrant we want to be in. What we have is we have hopeful realists. Hopeful realists. 
who are able to both hold the present and the future together, who live by faith, who take captive the thoughts of their mind, and who are able to name the frustrations and critique the empire and critique what's going on in the world, but also have an imagination like Daniel of how to live faithfully in the empire, how to live faithfully in this season. So let's go to Daniel chapter 10 real quick as we wrap up. Daniel chapter 10, verse 2. And and I feel like this is the word that the Lord wants to give us today. Um, It says, in those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. So what we see is Daniel lamenting over what's happening. He's hopeful, but he's real. He's naming, I've been mourning for weeks. And so he goes to God and he mourns for weeks. In verse three, it says, I ate no delicacies. I ate no meat or wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for a full three weeks. I don't know if that means he didn't shower. Um, I'm fine with the no wine thing, although that's hard in quarantine. Um, I'm fine with the no meat thing, but the no bathing thing, that's probably something you should take care of. But he's seeking God. He's seeking God so much that he's saying, I'm going to fast. I'm going to not, I'm going to get rid of all of these things from my life. I'm committed to finding him. I'm committed to shaking out the noise in my life. I'm committed to quieting my heart. I'm committed to taking captive my thoughts. And I'm so committed that I'm going to give up all of these things so that I can find him. For three weeks, he prayed, waiting on the word of the Lord. And on the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, that is the Tigris, I lifted up my eyes and I looked and behold, a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Uphaz around his waist. His body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and the sound of his words was like the sound of a multitude. I, I, I love the imagery of the Bible because when it describes moments like these, the only words it can describe is it's like... There is such a mystery to the power of God and to the kingdom of God that we don't even have words to describe it. Only word, the only words we can come up with is, it's like, it's, it's like the appearance of lightning. It's like flaming torches. It's like this, but it's not really this. There's this mysterious figure that shows up to Daniel and he says, and I, Daniel, alone saw this vision. For the men who were with me didn't see this vision, but a great trembling fell upon them, and they fled to hide themselves. So I was left alone with this great vision, and I had no strength. There was no strength left in me. My radiant appearance was fearfully changed, and I retained no strength. As I was reading this this week, I felt like, Lord, that's me this week. I just don't have strength right now. I feel exhausted. I, I need a picture of what you're doing. I, I, I can't retain my strength. I need a vision for the future. I, I, I need the prophetic and not the plain, as Douglas talked about last week. I need a word from the Lord. And, and I love this because the next word in the in this scripture, in verse 9, it says, Then I heard the sound of his words. When we are tired, when we are exhausted, when we've lost our strength, when we don't don't know where to turn, when we don't know what critique and imagination look like, we need to wait for the sound of his words. Verse 9, then I heard the sound of his words, and as I heard the sound of his words, I fell to my face in a deep sleep with my face to the ground, and behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees, and he said this to me, O Daniel, man greatly love, understand the words I speak to you, and stand upright. 
For now I have been sent to you. I love this word for us this week. Oh, Daniel, man who is greatly loved. He's talking about his identity. This is your identity. Even when you've been torn to Babylon, even when your circumstances are frustrating, even when you don't know what's true and what's not true, even when you're confused, even when you're frustrated, even when you don't agree with your neighbors on, on, on what should be going on, in all of those moments, you are a man who is greatly loved. Men and women, you are loved by God. Today, that is our identity. And Daniel needs to be reminded so that he can stand upright, so that he can have strength. He needs to be reminded of who he is. He is a man who is greatly loved. And, and, and he says, I understand the words that I speak to you. Uh, we need to not view the world through the lens of the world. We need to have, see it with heavenly eyes. The way that we understand the words that are spoken to us is we wait on the Lord. We listen to his word for us. We quiet the noise and we sit in his presence and we wait for him to speak. And then it says, stand upright, which I love that word for us this week. Stop cowering in fear. Stop pretending like everything is out of control. The power of heaven is available to us. The power of heaven is here right now. So stand upright, stand tall, for I have been sent to you and I have sent you. For the, for, for, here's the good news. No matter what you're experiencing right now, no matter how frustrated you are, no matter how tired you are, no matter what's going on in your life, the good news is God is with you. He sent you. He is putting his trembling hands on us and asking us to stand upright. And then it says, and when he had spoken this word, I stood up trembling. That's, that's the posture for us as we move out of quarantine. We stand up trembling. We, as we move back into culture, as we move back into the world, we stand up trembling. Our posture is we raise up from the crisis. We emerge from our homes. We do it with trembling hearts, with trembling feet. We do it cautiously, but we do it knowing and trusting that God is with us. Verse 12, it says, Then he said to me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set to heart your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God. Your words have been heard and I have come because of your words. This is so amazing. This is such good news. Our words actually create worlds. The Lord came because of Daniel's words. Our prayers are heard. Our words matter. Our petitions to God do not go unanswered. Our words create world. I, worlds. I came because of your word, Daniel. Verse 13, the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me for 21 days. But Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the king of Persia. And he came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days. For the vision is for days yet to come. Here's what God does. He reveals the plan. Daniel waits quietly for three weeks without bathing, without drinking. I know it's tough. Without eating meat. That's hard also. For three weeks, he waits on the Lord. He quiets himself. He sits back and then God reveals the plan. Persia is coming. And when Persia is coming, they are going to conquer Babylon. And when they conquer Babylon, then you will go home. Then the rebuilding will begin. Then this will all be over. And so the word for us today is what does it look like for us in the midst of this, no matter what is going on, to critique the way the world is operating in this, but to have an imagination for standing up, standing upright with fear and trembling 
and being the people of God. The best critique of bad is always the practice of something better. And so what are we practicing in these days that models a better way? Here's the questions I want you to reflect on in your homes this morning before you join us in the lobby. The first is, where do you find yourself on this grid? Right now, where do you find yourself on this grid this week? The second is, what does hopeful realism look like for your life right now? What does it look like for you to be hopeful but to be real? And then the last question is, in what ways are you waiting on God to hear from Him? Daniel didn't eat. He got alone. He quieted himself, and he waited on the Lord to speak. And then when the Lord spoke, he stood upright and he walked out with fear and trembling. How are you waiting to hear from God? How are you quieting the noise of the empire and paying attention to the voice of the Father? We love you guys. We cannot wait to be together again. Happy Mother's Day, all the mothers out there. We love you. Kids in your homes right now, make sure you're caring for mom today, doing amazing things for her, um, serving her, whatever it takes. You're doing it. Uh, We love you guys, and we'll see you soon.